Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us on this segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're actually introducing a new report speaking to a new segment in the Institute for Supply Management's Report on Business series, and that is the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index, which is headed up by Committee Chair Nancy Lamaster, who is with us today and is going to drill through the report with us, so we encourage you to stay tuned. A lot of fascinating pieces of this particular puzzle, and we'll leave it to Nancy to help unravel it for us. Nancy, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio and this ISM series. Thank you so very much. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you, and I wonder if, just to get started, if you would give our listeners some background on Nancy Lamaster, and then we'll get into this particular report. Okay. Well, thank you. So um, my educational background, I have an MBA and started in the healthcare field long ago um, in strategic planning and then moved into supply chain. And I was with uh, BJC Healthcare in St. Louis, which is a 15-hospital system uh, located in Missouri and Illinois for 28 years. The majority of that time, I was their vice president of uh, supply chain operations. So I've been involved in the healthcare hospital-based supply chain most all of my career. Today I do uh, consulting uh, related to the adoption of data standards throughout the healthcare supply chain. Ah, okay. And by data standards, that's interesting. What are you involved with? Um, so um, we are involved in the adoption of what's called the unique device identifier. That's what the FDA um, basically came out mandating that medical devices all have a unique device identifier, uh, either a GS1 standard or HIBIC. And we're trying to get that adopted all the way to the healthcare providers so that if you had a pacemaker implanted and it was recalled, we would have a trace of that all the way from the manufacturing of that device into your electronic health record, and we could be able to contact you. Most people think that happens today, but unfortunately it does not. A lot of that process is manual, so I'm trying to help the industry move forward and get that into um, electronic uh, formats across the uh, supply chain continuum. Oh, so it's the not just the digitization of manufacturing, but the di- digitization of this particular sector in the healthcare industry. Exactly, and being able to take it down to being able to connect a device with a patient. Fascinating, fascinating. So the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index, which we see as the Hospital PMI, was created by the ISM recently, or has that been running for a while? So the concept of um, ISM wanting to create a vertical, they started discussing it, I guess, really back in 2016. And in in 2017, they partnered with two 
hospital-related supply chain professional organizations. One is under the auspices of the American Hospital Association and is called the Association of Healthcare Resource Materials Managers, and that primarily represents healthcare hospital-based supply chain people. And the other was an, is a professional organization called SMI, Strategic Marketplace Initiative. And they began to work with these groups to develop um, what the survey would look like, to identify panelists. And then in April of 2018, they began to gather the data. And they wanted to make sure that they had a process in place that would meet the high standards of the ISM manufacturing report. So they gathered data starting in 2018, and then we actually launched the first report in August of 2020. So the July 2020 results were presented in August. And they spent a great deal of time during that period, you know, doing the, um, the mathematical um, you know, evaluation and, and making sure the survey was, was getting the results they wanted. And then I like to say the real world stepped in and tested the survey when COVID hit in, in February and into March and really did validate that this is a leading practice, a leading indicator survey like the others that ISM does. And we saw the devastating effects of COVID very early on, even before um, you know, that it was as well known across the country as it is now. So, you know, I think it's been a very, um, uh, very rigorous process that they've gone through to try and make sure that this hospital index um, does meet the standards of ISM and, and we're continuing to test it and report out on it now every month. Well, that's interesting, and I wonder if now we can start to actually parse the report. Uh, I'm fortunate to have a copy in front of me, and so I'll let you share what uh, the general overview of the report is and the current hospital PMI number that you have published for November in this December report. Right. So in um, November, the hospital PMI was 626 so that's definitely in the growing range, um, slightly slower than the prior months that came in at 63, but, but very, very strong growth. And we've seen growth now for the past six months um, in that, and it continues to be reflected in the business activity index at 69.5, which was a little growing faster than the prior month of 68, and the new orders index. New orders index slightly lower, but it's at 65.5 compared to 68.5. So our our volume indicators have been strong for the last six months. And very interesting, uh, as we have seen in other sectors, the hospitals are struggling to find not just in the number of people they need, but the trained people they need. Interestingly enough, in a non-pandemic period, you don't need a lot of ventilator technicians, but in a pandemic period, suddenly you need a whole lot of them. Correct. Correct. So early in the uh, pandemic, in the, in the spring, um, a lot of the panelists' comments were around the constraining factor being the personal protective equipment. You hear PPE. Um, 
but in the last couple of months, the constraining factor has more often been called out as the appropriately trained and qualified staff, nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians, um, all of these being in short supply. So one of the interesting things that I found in this report, Nancy, was that a hospital, like any other entity on the planet, has to generate revenues to be able to afford all the very expensive equipment that operates in the healthcare industry and the very skilled people they have to hire in that industry and somehow come out with a profit to be used for um, raises, new equipment, a new hospital wing, whatever their needs are. And COVID has thrown that up in the air and upside down, has it not? It has. One of the things that I think is, is uh, challenging for people who don't live in the hospital industry every day um, tend to think of businesses that if they have volume, that's the equivalent to being profitable. And in the hospital world, that's not necessarily true um, because the type of insurance a patient has impacts how much the hospital gets paid and the type of condition they have. And so in the case where hospitals have had to stop, slow down, postpone, what they call elective procedures. And, you know, elective is a bit subjective. It simply means that, you know, it's not life or death. It doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be done or isn't causing pain. But things like hip replacements, knee replacements, um, surgical and diagnostic procedures tend generalization, but tend to be more profitable for hospitals. So as they've had to defer that um, and change those beds into COVID patient beds, in general, medical conditions like that um, are, are expensive um, to take care of and don't necessarily reimburse as well. So they're getting a double whammy. In fact, this morning I was just reading an article saying that year-to-date, that revenues were down about 5% for hospitals, but expenses were up 2%. Um, so the, the volume doesn't tell the whole story. You have to understand what kind of volume they're getting. Right, right. Now, clearly the entire world was not prepared for a pandemic and hadn't stockpiled a lot of uh, equipment that would be needed for this particular kind of pandemic that is largely a respiratory pandemic before it starts affecting other organs. What other strains on the supply chain have we seen, Nancy? Um, it, it's been just extreme beyond things we've ever experienced before, in, in part because, you know, when we've had uh, catastrophes, before, they've tended to be localized. Um, this is a global pandemic. It's not just within the U.S. And um, over the years, um, significant amount of that PPE that, you know, what we think of as kind of basic supplies that we take for granted, masks, gowns, gloves, um, have been offshored. And so as you, you started with the trickle effect of this hitting China, which is where a lot of this product is manufactured, then you had the global demand for it um, 
So, you know, obviously we saw significant price increases, shortages, the supply chain deliveries have slowed, back orders have increased, um, and what ended up having to occur were innovations about how care was given. So reusing masks, um, some interesting ways came up to disinfect some of those N95 masks, things like that. But in general, huge supply chain uh, crunch, um, a lot of people just trying to buy product wherever they could find it. We had product coming in that was counterfeit. Um, it, it was, and, and still is, a, a significant challenge for the folks in the field trying to get that product to the frontline users so that they can stay safe. Right, right. And just to put things in perspective, when the Spanish flu hit a much worse pandemic uh, back in 1918, the world population, the world population was about 1.8 billion people. Now it's over six. Um, there's a whole, that's a whole lot more people to have to serve when you've got a pandemic affecting all countries in a radical way. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, you know, people are mobile at a degree that there was nothing like it back then. Yes, true. So how have the manufacturers, you know, they have to get raw materials from someplace. We look at manufacturing as the production floor, but it's really, everything that feeds that production floor from all of the suppliers that have raw materials. Uh, you, know, you think about a mask, there's elastic, there's linens, there's all of those things that go into something as simple as the mask we wear daily. Uh, uh, what's been the impact on hospitals and getting a hold of things? Any comments from your um, respondents on how their struggle is going? You know, it's been very um, fragmented. You know, the fact that we didn't come out with kind of global guidance, um, there wasn't a a kind of a stepping in and taking control of the supply chain from a national perspective at all. So, you know, you ended up with individual hospital systems, states, you know, all all basically bidding up the price on these same same goods. Um, and so I think where you, you know, obviously some systems are going to be a little bit more sophisticated, maybe have more purchasing power than other systems. I think, you know, the um, the rural hospitals have, have really, really had a hard time. And, and I've often, you know, benefited from uh, the largesse of the bigger systems, you know, sharing and, and that kind of thing. But it has been so um, disconnected and it has been kind of a every man for himself type of process, which has just made it, it worse. I mean, there's just been very hard to, you know, step back and actually triage and allocate supplies where they're needed. I think a success story has been um, through the American Hospital Association um, hospitals have gotten together and created pools of ventilators. And there was a process whereby, you know, people were saying, okay, I, I don't have COVID in my region right now. I'm, I'm going to put a couple of ventilators into the pool, trusting when I needed them, they would come back. Um, and, you know, that kind of got created on the fly out of necessity, but it's something we want to build on and continue to see grow in the future so we're ready 
it's not an if, it's when we have another pandemic. Yes, that's very true. Let me go back to the report just for a second, Nancy, because one of the things that people struggle with, even the mainstream media, is they look at a number of 62.6, and the month before it was 63, and they always say, oh, look, this industry has slowed. Is it also true in the hospital PMI that anything above 50 is expansion? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, and, you know, we went from being, oh, gosh, I have to look, but, you know, I'm saying, you know, in the low 40s to 62. So, um, you know, that initial kind of shutdown. So in April, or I mean, in May, the PMI was 45. So, you know, it is definitely come back. You see little bits of variation. I kind of like to look at that, um, the new orders as, you know, potentially then impacting the business activity for the for the next month. I mean, that new orders in hospitals are scheduled procedures primarily. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely still in, in a growth mode. Well, that's interesting. Let's go, uh, since this is a new report, let's go through each one of these and define what they are, uh, because you said new orders are essentially procedures. That's fascinating. Business activity, what does that line reflect, Nancy? That would reflect the panelists, um, the current activity they're seeing. So that would translate primarily into things like what, what do our admissions look like right now, our outpatient volume, how busy are we today? And okay. then the new orders would be more what, what's coming. Okay, okay. Uh, employment's fairly obvious. Now, as we get to a number of 62.6, there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different subcategories here. Which ones, I'm sorry, there's more than that. Which ones roll up to make that 62.6 number? You know, I would have to double check that for you, Tim, but I believe it is basically the same as in the manufacturing index where you've got your business activities, I think it's new orders and employment, I believe. Okay. Well, we can certainly get back to that because part of the good news of this is that we're going to be doing the same report with Nancy every month because it's an important report for people to look at, particularly as it relates to the healthcare industry and how it's doing. We know it's struggling, Nancy, particularly right now where we see a very large second wave of COVID. Um, Is the supply chain better prepared today? to respond to this big bump, or are we going to go back to uh, a very difficult time for the supply chain for the healthcare industry? So um, I think it is going to be a very, very, um, very slow improvement. I think you made a really important point when you said, you know, it's the whole from raw materials through manufacturing, that supply chain is seeing not just a temporary bump in demand, but really 
I think, more of a permanent shift in that you, you think about the fact that uh, masks, gowns, disinfectants, things like that are being used beyond the hospital. And we see that demand for a, a while to come. And so will there be a level of hygiene, I guess you'd call it, of, of expanded concern that is going to continue to put a strain on that? Are we going to see caregivers saying, you know, yeah, I may have at one point used a, a medical surgical mask, but for these kinds of procedures, I want an N95 mask because I, the proximity to the patient makes me more at risk. Right. So I, I think that what we don't know is what's going to be the steady state demand versus the capacity to produce. Because, you know, we've got some uh, manufacturing going on, um, you know, companies that this is a, are making products that aren't their norm just to through the War Powers Act. So I think that there's going to be definitely an up and down. I think that Hospitals have gotten quickly more sophisticated in um, learning to do a better job of predicting demand. They've also gotten much more uh, stringent in developing very specific protocols for what type of PPE is used for certain situations. So I think they're, they're better managing the consumption and they're better able to communicate to manufacturers the need. But, you know, the manufacturers have to figure out what their steady state production is going to be and what they can afford because there, you know, there's talk about bringing things back to the U S that type of thing, but where are the prices going to shake out? I mean, the, the economic pressure on hospitals is going to continue. So there's going to be efforts to combat these price increases. And um, I think it's going to be a volatile industry for a while to come. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, no doubt the, the pricing pressure, the cost of goods for a hospital to bring in and use, and also the uh, price of pharmaceuticals, which is mm -hmm. another issue, is going to be very challenging. Now, you monitor the prices of pharmaceuticals, and you show them increasing, but I don't think they're going off of the charts. What's happening in that segment of this report, Nancy? So in the pharmaceutical segment, oh, let me go back for one second, Tim, because I looked this sure. up and I wanted to make sure. The hospital PMI is comprised of business activity, new orders, employment, and supplier deliveries. That was the piece I was missing. Okay. Okay. That's so, good. Apologize for not having that off the top of my head. But on, on pharmaceuticals, um, it is the one category that since the beginning of the survey, you know, when we started capturing that data back in April of 2018, pricing has increased every single month since then. It's 32 straight months of price increases on pharmaceuticals. The degree of those has bounced kind of all over the board um, from, you know, 72 being one of the highest months but has never really gone below, um, I think the lowest it ever went was 53.5. So it never left the growth. And, and you just see, um, you know, a lot of variation. That's, you know, one of the biggest areas of cost and one of the most difficult costs to manage in the hospital are pharmaceutical costs. Um, so it puts a lot of pressure. The su supplies 
um, you see, you know, we'll see more trending where you actually will have some decreases depending on your mix of supplies and supply costs will actually go down, but pharmaceuticals don't ever seem to go down. Hmm. Well, this is such a challenging sector. You talk about supplies and I just can't imagine being a supply chain manager in a hospital and trying to figure out what I'm going to need over the next, I don't know, three months, six months in such an unpredictable environment. How did they do this? Well, that's why you end up with a fair amount of inventory levels, right? You know, a lot of times when people come from industry into healthcare, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, we got to cut this inventory. And I always say, okay, well, you're right, let's try. But not only do you have a, a lot of unknowns as to who's coming in the door, you have a huge variety of sizes you have to accomplish from the neonate that weighs, you know, two pounds All right. up to the 600-pound adult. So it does, you know, it's uh, it's a challenging, but it is a rewarding industry sector to be part of. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, in terms of digitization, Nancy, where we kind of started this conversation, when you are working with hospitals, how advanced are they in terms of, in the manufacturing world, we would call it an enterprise resource planning software or ERP. Uh, does the hospital industry have a similar set of software packages, or is a lot of this still in something like Excel? No, most of your major healthcare hospitals, most of your large hospitals have um, ERP systems. They have in the health industry, PeopleSoft, Infor are two of the big ones. Um, but the, how they operate are different. In, in that, um, in, in manufacturing, you have a bill of materials, and, and you, do, mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time um, predicting and forecasting what your demand is going to be. And, you know, you can plan on doing X percentage of this, you know, producing this. And, and in healthcare, we're behind in kind of taking that thinking, in, in part because, yes, it is hard, but the reality is it's more predictable than you would expect. You know you're going to do so many hips and knees, so many, you know. Um, and so part of where the healthcare industry, the hospital-based healthcare industry has been is is trying to incorporate some of these, what I would call a little bit more sophisticated processes that they're behind on in terms of being able to do better in terms of predicting demand. And a lot of focus in hospitals working with the physicians and the clinicians on standardization on trying to get more standardization around what supplies are used for certain um, procedures. That's one way to try and manage the cost. Well, I can't imagine trying to predict uh, cases of cancer or heart attacks or whatever to have the right supplies on hand. I, I admire the hospitals. I've never been in a situation where they went, uh-oh, we don't have that catheter or something of that nature. So, um, they do a lot of hard work. Uh, one other area I know of interest uh, as we begin to wrap this up, Nancy, are imports. We were we touched lightly on, on bringing uh, goods back to America, but we still import a lot of healthcare items into the country. What's happening in that 
line item of imports? You know, um, I think that on the import side, we, we talk about bringing a lot of things back, but I don't think we're seeing a lot of movement on it yet. I just, okay. You know, I just think that, um, and and again, when we talk about the hospital supply chain leaders that are, are working through this, a lot of times it, it's a growing recognition that my distributor may be local, it's U.S.-based, but the product is being imported to them. Right, and and starting, we're starting to ha- have more discussions about understanding your second and third tier suppliers, and really getting a better understanding of what where is that product physically getting manufactured, and you know what's right. the supply chain to get it. And that's again up until more recently, as the pandemic, you know, hospitals didn't really have to think about that kind of thing. They they relied a lot on their manufacturer partners or their distributor partners to kind of always have it for them. And now they're having to take a little more ownership in that, and, and that's part of the learning curve and part of a lot of the educational programs that we're doing to help supply chain, help hospital supply chain leaders grow in their skill set. Well, I just wanted to mention because, yes, the Institute for Supply Management at instituteforsupplymanagement.org does, in fact, have a terrific set of courses for people who want to go into the supply chain industry to get a, uh, gosh, I don't even know what the the acronym words are, uh, a CRM or a whatever yeah. it may be. Certification, um, CRMP, I think. Yes. Yes, the certifications are quite excellent through Institute for Supply Management. Nancy, I want to thank you for bringing this report to the forefront where we could discuss it, and we will certainly look forward to chatting with you next month around the same time to see what has changed month to month and appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you, Tim. I really appreciated joining you. Well, thanks, and we have been speaking with Nancy Lamaster, who is the committee chair for the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report on Business. This is really a fascinating report. We encourage you go to go to the Institute for Supply Management.org. Check out everything they have there. They have reports on manufacturing, services sector, which we used to call non-manufacturing. It's now called the services sector. The hospital PMI and the great courses that they have put together, which we had the pleasure of talking about a couple of years ago at one of their industry conferences, that uh, they just do excellent work. And we always appreciate having people from the purchasing managers segment who watch the, you know, the committee chairs to discuss that because it's such good information, and it really does watch what's happening in the industry. So we encourage everybody to check out that uh, th- those reports at instituteforsupplymanagement.org. And while you're surfing the web, we encourage you to go to jacketmediaco.com where we have all of our podcasts, including this one, which appears under Manufacturing Talk Radio, Women and Manufacturing, which talks about empowering women in manufacturing and business, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, an economist who talks about why manufacturing matters, fascinating shows, Where is Willie with William Miller as he travels the country and 
speaks to us from the production floors. Full-time with Amy Nicholas, who talks about that challenging work-life balance. And Hazard Girls, which speaks about women in non-traditional fields. Another set of fasting interviews. And as always, thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.